Hi, this is Mega Ran. You may know me from songs like Splash Woman or Grow Up. You're here listening to video game bullshit. You know. Yeah. Video game bullshit. Video game bullshit. Talking about some BBC. The Black Box Challenge. That's right, BBC. So, you know, we've probably been almost talking about this since... Definitely since season one. Probably about halfway through we've been alluding to this RPG that we've been working on and creating and all this madness. And we're finally doing a little bit of a different way to do bullshit homework. Yeah, we're not gonna let the cat out of the bag too far. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't want to spoil too much on on this one, because yeah. this game, it's not like Link to the Past or something where everyone's played already. We, you know, gotta provide a whole substantive analysis on it. This one's a little different approach. Yeah, the, the main thought that Kyle and I were talking about was, like, we were enjoying our schoolyard-style talking through the game as we were playing because there's nothing available online. There's no game FAQs. There's no strategy guides. Like, we literally have to sludge through this like Legend of Zelda back in the day. Like, that's how we got to do it. And that's the magic because we talk about Zelda so finally. Why? Because it had that whole deal where we didn't know... When you don't know, each part is unlocked piece by piece by the information that goes between people, and so there we go. Exactly. Doing the wallpaper is going to be a little bit different this time around, because there's really no official, like, about the game except for what I've written. (laughs) So this will be a a really interesting, um, really interesting wallpaper. Yep. So this is... The game that we play is Jeffrey Wittenhagen's Black Box Challenge. Um, so this is the Sly Dog Studios, the same guys that created The Mad Wizard, The Rise of Amundus, as well as NES Virus Cleaner. Um, and this is their RPG where you collect Nintendo games within the RPG. And then in order to unlock abilities... You play the NES games inside the game, um, like little mini versions of like Super Mario Brothers or Popeye or Duck Hunt, and you unlock abilities within the game, within the RPG. One of the unique aspects of it is there's no items. There's no healing items. There's no MP or any of that. The battles refresh themselves after each match. There are things to buy because there's no 
XP system in the game. Everything is upgraded as you become stronger and progress through the game and progress through the story. So it's kind of like Legend of Zelda in that aspect. Totally unique, too. Totally unique. And we're going to go over it in a lot more detail as we get into it. But the battle system is completely unique and is very, very robust. It's like you'll sit there and you start the game with only very bare minimal abilities. And then as you progress, you start to add on piece by piece different parts of your repertoire to till you become a badass. And that's what's really crazy about Black Box Challenge is then it almost becomes like you're untouchable, almost like in Mike Tyson's Punch-Out when you get the timing down and everything. You're like, you can't be touched. And it's really, really satisfying because it's that RPG style where Kyle and I and Final Fantasy sit there and grind out and level up to become overpowered. Well, this game does it as you earn it, and it's very satisfying because of it. Yeah, there's a lot of nuances people have to be aware of. Like, So, number one, if you die wherever you are, you retain whatever you've gained up to that point. So basically the currency in the game is instead of gold, it's instruction manuals. It's manuals. Yeah. So certain enemies, you know, give you certain amounts of manuals and there's different enemies, which we'll go into. And there is, yeah, like you said though, no penalty for losing. Um, it doesn't count it at the end either. So you don't have to worry about dying. Yeah. Um, and you go directly back to your house, right where you could save, and you can continue the game. All it does is it shoots you back to your house. So you have to, if you're really far off the path or something, you'll have to get back to there if that's where you want to go. That's it. Because in Final Fantasy 1, like, if you didn't save, then anything that you did was gone up to that point. Yep. So you had to get back to home base. So there's that aspect of, um, it's almost like Castlevania for the NES 1, 2, and 3, where you have infinite continues, where it, there's no excuse not to keep going. Yeah. Which I love about that, because it's not like a crippling aspect, like, ha ha, you don't get anything. It's like, no, you get to keep what you get, you can save your game, mm-hmm. just keep going, you know? And that's the beautiful part of that, and then how they mixed the turn-based with an actual action-oriented breakdown. So if the guy's attacking you from the front, you got to hold the front directional to block. Yeah, you have to press front at the right time to block. If you have that ability. So that you start, like, naked. You start with nothing. Start with nothing. You have no games. you got to get games. You can't even talk to anybody when you start the game. And you can only unlock the abilities through the games. Yeah. Which are, like, a fetch quest type thing for the most part where someone will say, you know, maybe this guy that I know, you know, has this certain game and if you can find him and, you know, get me that game, I'll get you something. So it has that Link's Awakening, how there's like the fetch quest. Well, it, that's like a trade. That's a trade up thing in real life where you're kind of trading up your, your collection for something else or like it's, everything is. And the thing is, Rob like we've talked about it. he's like a savant after we've seen this game there's so many intricacies and so many little subtle like behind the scenes things and like just from s- collecting itself 
that like Rob's like a genius from this game. Well, it's like it, one huge puzzle because you have all these all the black box games that you have to put in there, and once you get the game, you take it home. As Jeff's talked about, you know, on the panels and stuff, you take it home and you play that game, and then you unlock the ability. And a, a lot of times, it's funny because the game, the ability, will be related to the game, at least in, in some way. Yeah. I think every single one is, in some ironic way, connected. Yeah, Popeye will give you, like, a boat. Balloon Fight will give you the ability to float over, like, little water gaps. So everything makes sense. Excite Bike gives you a speed bike on the overworld where you can avoid random encounters. <laughs> it's big. So it's stuff like that. That is when, and in my opinion, that spot right there, when you get exci- when you get the speed bike, that is the halfway point of the game to where it opens up because no longer are you subjected to random encounters on the main world. You only do your random encounters when you're actually going for a game in a quote-unquote dungeon or maze. And then going back to the defense where, okay, so you have the front block aspect and then eventually... You know, you'll get the bottom block, which you jump. So certain certain bad guys have certain attacks. They might attack low. They might attack behind you. And yep. they might attack from above, which is, like, really crazy. But a lot of times what you'll notice is the game, because of the way that it's built, it differentiates the regions by... Um, the attacks that the enemies have. So yep. since you have to unlock the certain defense capabilities, if you don't have the behind-the-back block, then wherever you go where a guy is going to hit you from the back, like there's there's like these sniper hunter guys, yep. and they'll snipe you from the back. So if, with the, like a sniper rifle, and it shows the crosshair reticle and everything. It's really cool. And if you don't have that block back, then they're just going to take you out. So you can't go that way, essentially. That's the classic Dragon Warrior or Final Fantasy where you can't go over that bridge because then those are where the higher level are. But in Black Box Challenge, it could be something as simple as on the first overworld screen going into the wrong little industrial area where the guy's asking you to find his Action 52 for him, and those guys are hitting you right on the head. And you can't even get past right that very beginning area. You just know, oh, can't go there yet. Which is important because you have to read because the guy at that part says, watch out for, you know, attacks from above kind of thing. Watch your head. That is seriously tip number one. Read everything from the intro screen with the text to Every single thing that everybody says in the town, they all say integral things about the entire game, that whether it be right at the beginning or later, everything makes sense. There's um, Andrea, my wife, is in the game, and she says in there, when you go to the industrial area, follow the yellow beams. It's right in the first... Uh, right in the first town, she says that. So later on, when you actually can go through the industrial area, you'll notice yellow beams. Oh, I remember Andrea said that. But if you didn't read it, you wouldn't remember that. And that's the thing. And even though you read it one time, you still may not remember it. But if you remember yellow, like, oh, there's yellow. That makes sense. Like, there's really good subtle clues throughout the game. But you have to read it all. That is the first major thing. Well, it's funny because some people might miss that if you press start right away and you don't watch, you know, the initial story, Legend of Zelda style, 
how they give you the breakdown of what's going on. It tells you there's three games in your house. Yep. So those three games teach you, you know, the core aspects of what you need to know to actually like. So one of them teaches you just how to talk to people, for example. So if you don't find that game, you can't talk to anyone. Which means you can't progress in the game. So it teaches you the mingle capability. Things like that where reading, I think reading that first part is actually the most important thing. And it teaches you right from the beginning, you got to read everything. Or at least at least checking everything in the, in the house. Yeah. So you press the action A button, I believe, and on like an object that you're li- that you're looking at, and it'll tell you a description of the object, or say nothing is here. Yeah, like Hugo's House of Horrors, King's Quest, Shadowgate, Uninvited. It'll tell you like what you're looking at. Yep. So sometimes it's humorous, like in the pirate ship. Oh yeah, it's pretty funny. Yeah, so it's like an ongoing. Sometimes it's an ongoing like joke. Through the pirate ship, there's these purple tapestries. So each one that you look at, it's it's just it keeps adding on to the last. Oh, it keeps going. There, so there's there's the pirate ship. There is a mountain where there's like a jail mountain that does that. There's a library where they play the Macho Man and Savages music. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and there's a a cavern. And the cavern is like they all, all four of them have a sense of humor. But the pirate ship is funny because it's like the joke builds on itself with the tapestries. Yeah, because like, why did they pick purple? And the next one's like, well, not that there's anything wrong with purple. <laughs> it's just weird. And then you go to the next one, like, yeah, purple. You know, eventually, <laughs> like people talking to <laughs> the each other. Twentieth one. You get. <laughs> it's like you're thinking in your head, like talking to yourself. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> The pirate part is awesome because for me, that reminds me of Final Fantasy One. Personally, I don't even know if this was meant for anything, but it, it reminds me of that. The first hub in Final Fantasy One, after you beat Garland, mm-hmm. you go into the pirate part and you gotta beat the captain and his crew. So it's just very RPG to me. I absolutely think there was a there was a parallel. And there are bosses in the game, so, like, in the pirate ship, there's a boss. And the boss actually is, like, a Game & Watch character. But also, like you were saying, there's parallels to that, you know, captain in Final Fantasy, which is awesome. When, like, Mario RPG has the the pirate ship. 100% right. It's just super cool to have that in an RPG. And we all like our our pirates. (laughs) We like our booty. But then it makes sense... (laughs) Yeah, you know, like, what would you get in the pirate ship? Probably Popeye the Sailor Man, like, and it all freaking comes through. It's awesome. First time going through the game, I died probably six times, seven times on that dude. And that's a long maze to get to him. As far as the maze goes, the one thing that's great about that, you're still getting the manuals and Every you get time. to save it. So it's not like a waste if you die. So mm-hmm. here's the thing with the game where it's action-oriented, so if you have to be perfect. If you mess up mentally you take a damage it's kind of like playing guitar where if you mess up a riff like everyone messes up at some point if you have like a brain fart Mm -hmm. sometimes you can't afford to have that brain fart that's where the game has challenge oh absolutely there's stamina in the game but stamina for you (laughs) we definitely need to touch upon now hint 
Number two, the stamina meter. So this is the first thing that Kyle, Kyle was struggling, and I bet a lot of people are that are listening that have played the game are struggling, is that he was playing it like a standard RPG. So basically you fight, you fight, you fight, you fight. But the one thing that I did, I started dying a bunch of times on some of the more difficult enemies. I started watching, and I was like... So if I just block, if I just keep blocking, my stamina eventually creeps up slowly. So if you watch it, like, so you you block three times in a row, instead of having two stamina bars, you'll have three. Like, it'll it'll start to where you can get it to max out to however many you have. Because you have to, with manuals, buy um, Fun Club News at different stores to increase the stamina bar each time, which is awesome because the items you buy are Nintendo Powers and Fun Club News. Um, (laughs) But um, basically, so if you watch that, that tells you the game isn't just a turn-based action RPG. It's it's stamina-based. And once you get the hint, um, the clue, actually, the clue ability, you can actually use that on enemies, and you can see their timer bar, and that's how fast they do each turn in. So as you watch it, you just block, block, and you make sure no matter what attack you use, because there's eventually you'll have four attacks, and one takes one, one takes two, one takes three, and one takes four stamina bars from you to attack. Whatever you use to attack your enemy, you're going to want to have one left over so you can always block. Because all of the blocks or the dodges take one stamina. They only take one. So as long as you have one left, you can always dodge as long as you have the ability to dodge in that direction. And you can never get hit at that point as soon as you get the timing down. That's the secret of the game. That Okay, so if the block does one stamina and the, and the uppercut does one stamina, you would think that they were equal so you would treat it like a jrpg turn-based you attack i attack you attack i attack but actually if you wait and you block more than you attack you build up the stamina so that tells me that the blocking takes less than the attacking because i was attacking it and blocking at an equal rate at first and that's when i would lose my stamina but if i just sat there and blocked then it would build up. I think how Rob did it, how Sly Dog did it, was that while you're blocking, your stamina still builds, whereas while you're attacking, it halts. Yeah. That's got to be how he does it. So that way it's slowly, when you're doing the defense, it slowly builds. Well, it's like while you're doing nothing, it grows. Yep. So the the attack is like you do a little action. Mm-hmm. So during that whole action, nothing's growing as far as stamina is concerned. So then, then my next recommendation is that wait until the last possible millisecond to attack before the enemy attacks. So once you have the clue on them, you'll see when they get down to that last bar, that's when you attack them because then you can build up the most stamina waiting. Each time, yeah, there was um, a message in there. If you talk to someone, they said if you block too soon, you'll lose more stamina than you need to. Yep, too early. Yeah, so so one of the keys and the pirate ship boss is a tricky one too. He's probably the hardest boss in the game because he does obfuscation, and the kid before before him will tell you exactly one of them that he does. 
Um, but anyways, what you do is you don't watch the enemy attack. You watch where the enemy's attack is going to land. So if you watch where the attack lands, as soon as they they hit it, you still can block. Like, you get a second to react once they actually move over to your side to attack. Because the enemies actually move from the right to you. Like, say they're going to jump on your head, they'll go over to you and they'll be on top of you. Um, like the, the one fat lady, the later ones, they'll actually do a big butt bounce on you. It's hilarious. Well, that's the, the genius of Rob, that you go from walking to running, just yeah. like, you know, playing an instrument. You start real slow, and by the end, you're like the master, and it's real easy to react to those split-second things, because you know it's coming. Yep. So, there's there is this growing part to it where the more you play the more familiar you get with it the more badass you get and that's the interesting thing too you you don't have to gain level to be a badass nope you you have to get the games and get the abilities but as long as you have the ability and you know what's coming and you know how the system works you know you can be as powerful as you know you want so just think about that though he created in this game, a different way of leveling up in an actual RPG that works better than most on the NES. Like, I mean, it's Zelda style where you get better, but in the actual battles, there's still, you know, one one versus one, but it's like you get better with your own skills as well. So it's turn-based kind of in the battle part but it's Zelda in that each item you get on your ability unlocks a part of the game yeah so the way that the, you design the game is like okay you get this now you can go here you get this now you can go here and here so it's essentially a huge fucking jigsaw puzzle and it's just like in Zelda when you would see the heart that you couldn't quite reach it. You're like, I gotta come back to that. This game is all about, I want to come back to that. <laughs> like, this whole game, you're like, oh, yep, I can't go to this desert area in the bottom left corner right now. Um, I keep on dying. Somebody said that I gotta ride a bike across it, so I gotta wait till I come back with a bike for that. And that mixes with the Final Fantasy of like, okay, you have to get a canoe for the rivers you have to get um, for Final Fantasy. You have to get a pirate ship for the seas. You know, you have to get an airship to cruise overland. So that's the whole interesting thing about it, where he actually mixed Zelda and Final Fantasy in a perfect, like, deal. And everything is NES. Like, even the stories, like you were saying, the fetch quests, like, one of the first fetch quests that you do, you're literally two people are trading games and you're trading them and they're giving the wrong variants of the game. Like, oh, this one's like, oh, it's the this is the three screw, I need the five screw, and oh, this is the circle seal of approval, and I need the oval seal of approval. Like, it's it's like classic collector things. Like, they want the rare thing. Yeah, he's like, I want the five screw, I don't want the three screw, I already have that one. And then you have to take it back to the guy. But in taking it back to him... You're learning how to fight. And and you're getting manuals. This is huge, though. There's an empowerment aspect to this game that it just, like, hit me. Like, okay, Final Fantasy, if I sit there and I grind, eventually I'll be untouchable. This game's not like that. Mm-mm. 
This game, it's a self-empowerment. Like, it's up to you to kick ass during the battles to, you know, determine if you're gonna be a badass or not. It's not like, if I get every single item, no one can kill me. It's more like, every part of the game, you are in that battle, and you have to press the right button and press the right thing at the right time, regardless of how many battles you've had. Yeah. So you never hit this 99... Level 99 Final Fantasy 7 where you're doing, you know, like, infinite damage and you could just go to sleep and no one would ever kill you. Now, on the other side, once you get near the end, it is, you are super overpowered, which is really cool. Like, and I'm not saying 100% end. I'm saying when you get near the end right before you're about to go versus the evil overlord, you could literally walk around and with one button push kill all your enemies because you're so much more overpowered because you'll have the four damage attack and you'll have the Nintendo but you'll have the advantage and you'll have all these all these peripherals like you'll find the power glove or the laser scope or the U-Force, and the Dog Bone. And the Dog Bone Control, you just press select, and an enemy will attack you. So where that's genius is that later on, if you find you're short on manuals and you need to buy something, you can go to an area to grind. Um, like there's an area with like a garden full of bullies, and the bullies drop nine manuals every time. So you could literally press select, bully, press select, bully, select, bully, and you'll build up your the amount of manuals you need in like a minute or two. So the grinding never becomes tedious, which is great. The main thing, you got to go off the beaten path a little bit and check all the little spots. So like, ev- like you almost have to draw your own map legitimately. Like, like you got to draw your own area, and if you, like you figure out that you have or have not been anywhere, you got to check it. Everywhere is a new adventure. And the thing is, even if you go somewhere, you may see something that you need to go back to later, which is really important, too. So, like, say you see um, a spot that you can jump with the bike, and that is an ability. You can't jump with the bike immediately, but you can jump with the bike. Oh, yeah, there's a little cave over there. What do I? How do I get to that? So you just make a mental note or draw it on a map. Like, it's it's really cool, because that, that harkens back to the old days of RPGs. The craziest thing is, is that right before the midpoint, around the midpoint of the game, your NES breaks, too, in the game. So, as soon as your NES breaks, you know you're about halfway. Because that's about the same time that you're about to get the speed bike. Like, you know you're going to get the speed bike, because you're in an area that looks like Excite Bike. I mean, and and the game is super fun. Like, it's just... It's so satisfying. Yeah, it's really well made. It's, it's made to the point where it where you want to get obsessed with it. Exactly, and the thing is, is every time you find a new game, you get new stuff, abilities, and you feel more empowered, and it's ridiculous. It's it's really really satisfying every single time you do something new in the game, and it's a cool break to take. If you want to stop playing the RPG for a second, you can go play, go home and play your NES. Yeah. And try to master those scores because we will say, as a hint, you want to get 
the, some high fucking scores on those games. Without even spoiling much, like right at the beginning of the game, you go to the the town right above the your hometown, and there's an arcade there. There's also a guy, I call him Lucas from freaking The Wizard, but there's Chad. Chad. Yes. In the uh, in the town, and he has all the little scores. He's like, "Here's my challenges," and he'll pass them to you. So you got to break his scores, and then he'll give you more scores. And it's just like a constant cool thing. Cause you always had that that neighborhood kid that was always better than you at games, and now you got to play versus Chad scores. Yeah, and he's he's kind of like a dickwad, mm-hmm. pretentious. It's funny that. Um, he put that guy in there that's kind of like, what's your high score? Let's see what you got. He gets more and more, like, asshole-ish as you beat more scores, too. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> he gets mad. <laughs> yeah, and there's there's a lot of funny, like, people in that game that are like that, where, um, it's like some of the enemies you fight, where you might have one, there's a troll you know, yeah. and the troll is like your internet troll, and he'll shoot an LOL at you. Yeah. And the LOL actually fires at your back, so you have to um, use the back block. Mm-hmm. What's funny is the troll does that in real life, is he talks behind your back when you're not there. That's awesome. Later on, it's YouTubers, <laughs> which is hilarious. Yeah, and in the very beginning, I've I've experienced. Let's see, the critic. Yeah, the, the, they're originally called a critic, and so so what what uh, Sly Dog did was is they took the characters and they he changed their um their skin color like they're like it'll be red pants and then blue pants and palette palette swaps, which what Final Fantasy one does. And he would also add like little things to them. Like there's one guy that's like standing there and he throws like Saturn irons at you and stuff and then a later version he'll be like have a little table in front of him too and it's really cool so the critic becomes a YouTuber and the YouTuber throws out like number one because the original critic throws thumbs downs yeah and you have to block the thumbs downs which is hilarious because that's like his attack you don't want that critic to thumbs down your video Kyle come on now It's it's funny because it's just the the fat slob sitting on his couch talking shit about everyone when he's the fucking piece of shit. That's what's funny about that. (laughs) The hoarder's a really big fat lady, and she's like hoarding all the manuals and tries to steal some from you. Those huge tits, she needs like a breast reduction. Classic chick you see at the flea market, like, oh my god. (laughs) my god. Yeah, so it's like a lot of real life stuff, which is funny. There's guys sitting down uh, with little laptops, like, they're called homebrewers. One's called a homebrewer, one of the guy's names, another one. Um, (laughs) It's like, there's so many little, like, everybody you fight in the game, there's, like, classics. There's reproers. Yeah. (laughs) You gotta watch out for them. They have a back attack. They'll attack you from the back with, they'll throw a NES card at you, I think. I think, like, there's collectors, <laughs> and then there's preservationists. So, like, they're the same character swap, but, like, they... The funny thing is the names, they, like, also ramp up in, like, severity or seriousness of the character. Like, there's one that's, like, a gamer girl, and by the end, it's, like, it's, like, cosplayer, and then it's, like, even more. And the final palette color is Samus from Metroid 1, like she looks like, and she actually does the the, the ball. The morph ball at you. Really, really cool. 
Yeah, because the cosplayer is like a hardcore gamer girl. Yeah, exactly. So see, it's it's brilliant. It's freaking genius. Yeah. <laughs> My God, that's awesome. <laughs> I mean, like, like wow, you know, dude. All the work that went into it is like worth it. And the bosses, the bosses all are classic characters in the NES. All of them. It's amazing. Like, I, I'm not going to spoil some of the later bosses, but they are they are epic. The, the fourth boss that I fought the sec- as my second boss, that boss is freaking amazing. But, but here's the thing. The amount of times I died on those bosses, that's how I mastered the controls. Now, the controls are mastered riding a bike style. I'm good. But it took dying, like, a lot of times. But every time I died, I gained manuals. Um, another thing, another hint. So, right north of the beginning area, there's a shop. And in the shop, there's two Nintendo Powers, and there's two uh, Fun Club News, right? Fun Club News give you stamina. They're pretty cheap. The Nintendo Powers are expensive. But if you look at it, it says Nintendo Power number one and number two. And you got to realize there's other stores in the game, right? So, if number three and four, in real life, three and four are cheaper than number one and two. True. So you're you're, you're it's yeah. brilliant, man. And Makes like, sense, <laughs> and I didn't even think about that till right now. By the way, that's amazing. But because I think there's at least three shops in the game, and so that means there's about five power ups for stamina and health. Because in one of the stores there is a couple different items. Um, one's a one you can actually buy a peripheral. So that helps. <laughs> One of the peripherals you can just buy. Um, I think it's like 200 manuals, though. I mean, it could be worse. Not bad. Because in that first one, Nintendo Power Issue 1 is like 40, 400 manuals, and Issue 2 is like 300 manuals. One's 400 and one's 500. Oh, there you go. Even more. Yeah, it's brutal. And, and just so you know, I hit it with my second playthrough. You can max the manuals out. Uh, 768, <laughs> which is a classic number, by the way. Um, you max out the manuals at 768, but that's where you max it out at because if you find there's a secret area and actually when you can get to the pirate ship, you can get to the secret area. So I would look all around the coast. There's my hint. Look all around the coast for a hidden area. And when you find the hidden area, you'll see a throwback to some of Rob's games. And they'll hint at another throwback. And then there's something that wasn't the same as it was before. Around that area. That you'll find the super throwback. <laughs> and you get a fuck ton of manuals. So you don't have to do any grinding. <laughs> but the thing was, I found that at the end of the game. Because I knew I, I didn't... I had like 99% or something. And I was like, what the heck? And I... There's... There's a guy later in the game that hints at the secret area, but this secret area should be found about when you're going versus the pirate ship boss because that's when you need the manuals. So that is a really that's a really good hint for our listeners who are playing. Yeah, man. Because like seriously, if you go find that area, and I will throw out one little spoiler, it is yes. a candelabra treat that he hid in the game. Just like when your Nintendo breaks, you don't blow in your Nintendo. What would Rob Bryant, Slydock Studios, do to fix your Nintendo? 
What would he do? Has he possibly made a homebrew game that cleans viruses in a Nintendo? Someone mentioned the virus cleaner in that game, too, one of the characters. Did he, did he possibly maybe put a reference to his own game? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I think so. There is references. There, I mean, in that in that town right above, you know, the the first town with the shop, there's a guy who mentions the rise of a Mundus on vinyl. Yeah, he does. He wishes that he had it. So there's a there's a hint to Rise of a Mundus. So there's there's a Candelabra reference, and, and Rise of a Mundus is part of Candelabra because that is the you fight as the end boss. Amundus is the end boss of the Mad Wizard, who is the main evil bad guy from Heckle. From the Mad Wizard. Like, that goes into the lore of Sly Dog Studios games, which shows you how intertwined and crazy. The guy that you save with in your house in the game is Click from NES Virus Cleaner. So that's full circle. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the craziness is that there's a lot of Sly Dog Studios treats in there. And I really haven't spoiled much, but right where you are when you go toward that pirate ship, look around the coast, just hunt around, because I'm not going to say where, but you'll find some treats. And nothing around, and again, there's, there's areas around there that are, you know, there's crazy stuff. Doesn't even look like there's anything there. You know, again, though, like, there's paths that you could go that, like, oh, you can go up here, and then it scrolls the screen, and you get to a, a secret area. Someone mentioned in one of the towns, like, there's a hidden wall somewhere. And that's not that hint, either. There's another hidden wall, and that hidden wall is the only way to get one of the peripherals, the hidden wall that they're talking about in in the town. It kind of was like, oh, this is kind of out of place. Why would I go over here and there's nothing here? And Because, like, in this game, okay, so I try to play games thinking, like, he's trying to fuck with me. Yeah. So when I, when I see the maps, I'm like, all right, so I could go right or I could go a little bit longer and go top right. So I always go the little bit longer, the little bit harder way, and that was always the way that they chose. So it kind of worked out well for me to go the harder way. So when I looked at this and I'm like, okay, so there's there's a split path. I went this one way. Why is there nothing here? So then I was like, oh, let me go over. And I started looking around and lo and behold, <laughs> you walk. And, and the thing is, there is a carrot. There is a heart piece Zelda style that you can see, but you can't get to. It's not a heart piece. It's a, you see an NPC. And you can't get to him. Like, how the fuck do I get to him? Well, there's got to be a hidden thing somewhere. So I started looking all around. And while you're looking all around, you're getting in random battles, too. Right. Manuals. So it's like looking all around, getting manuals. It's deep, man. Um, the other thing that we we could talk about a little bit, which we haven't covered yet, um, what about the pop culture references in the game? Oh, there's tons of them. Yeah. There's a bunch. I, I mean, there was, of course, Pentagon Dark is in the first town, and Pentagon Dark is part of Lucha Underground Pro Wrestling. Like, he's part of the the actual wrestling organization. He's in the game, like, near the bottom. Like, oh, it's Pentagon Dark. But then Kyle noticed, what was it? The guy who trained you. Bolo from uh, Bloodsport. Bolo Young. We got Dylan. It, it seems like from Predator... Oh no, it's 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 definitely Dylan from Predator. And so I asked Rob, I'm like, so I showed him because I did some perlers for the 
Nintendo Age Limited Edition, I did a Perler of Pentagon Dark for some guys. Um, and so, so some people that bid on that got other versions of the game. So I'm like, well, let me make you a Perler of something, depending on which one you got. I did one of Bolo, but I made him look like Bolo from Bloodsport. Whereas the the sprites in the game, he doesn't look like Bolo from Bloodsport. It's like a, a normal character. And he said that's simply just due to the palette limitations in the game. That's why the, that's why he couldn't make him look more Bolo like or you know stuff like that. He made an exception for Pentagon Dark, though. He said <laughs> the um, junkyard Sanford. there's a lot there's a lot more later too there's a whole western area and they talk about copenhagen feel real good with that spit coming down my lip (laughs) (laughs) there's one where there's one where you talk to a lemuel which lemuel is a classic rpg trope of a character it gets forgotten about and and Lemuel goes on a whole tirade in the game. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> and from the Aliens film, there was a part where it's like, the guy's talking to you, it's like, blah, blah, blah. It's game over, pal. Game over, man. Game over. <laughs> so that's probably Hudson. There's also a bishop in the game. Bishop is Eric Bishop. Bishop Brothers Entertainment. Remember that from VGBS? That's Bishop. I'm lost. I don't know what to do. I have this Smash Bros. 64 cart, and it's completely corroded. It's my favorite game in the world. Is it beyond repair? Vishnu, Siddhartha Gautama, Buddha, are you there? What should I do? (laughs) You summoned me, my son. I will tell you exactly what needs to be done. First, take a compatible PCB. Remove the mask ROM. Can't you see? Then, take the Smash Bros. 64. Remove the ROM from within. Place it gently within the compatible donor. <laughs> then you are done. Bishop Brothers Entertainment. Now you're playing with true power. The NPC backers got to go in the game. Eric Bishop backed the game to be an NPC. Here is the funny thing. So um, Christian, Christian Dietering, Ferris Bueller, he actually bid the top bid for the Nintendo Age one. And so I made him some Perlers, and there's a Christian in the game that's right above the main town. It's Christian. He he said that he he he's like yeah I think that's me and all that. And Slydog said no, it's actually not him. <laughs> Sorry to burst your bubble there, buddy. Well, he wasn't he wasn't an NPC backer though. And Rob knows another Christian or something because he put a bunch of people he knows in the game too. Like all of his kids are in there. Even his his daughter before she was born was in the game. That's pretty crazy. Oh, maybe it was after she was born they put him put her in. But I mean. Andrea is in it. My wife, London, is in it. <laughs> like it's there's a lot of little little classics all around. Um, but yeah, so but when I made Christian's Perler of Christian from the game, I actually made it look more Ferris Bueller like, which is pretty cool. I gave him like his little like facial hair and blonde hair and everything. So so regardless, and the thing is, this game it could be him. Who's to say? Like it, when you're playing the game, they can be whoever you want. Well, then there's that. Yeah, it's just interesting to see um, 
all the little nuances. The the funny thing was, so one of the NPC backers was one of my old coworkers. And he and another coworker bet each other while I was running the Kickstarter in 2015. He's like, I'm gonna I'll do the NPC backer and I'm gonna put you in the game as a greedy little shit. And the other guy says, well, I'm going to be- be- do the NPC background and put you in as an asshole or whatever. <laughs> like, they were just talking smack. And so, one, Joshua Brundrett did the NPC backer. The other guy didn't. He didn't even get the game. He just got his name in the, the book and on the game in the credits. That's all he bit. So, the funny thing was, one guy's Joshua Brundrett. And basically, he says, I have a buddy who's in the mountains. Oh, yeah. When you find him, his name will be Justin Tremblay. And how he acts, he's like, oh, well, I'll give you the game for 10 manuals. And you go, okay, cool, 10 manuals, that's nothing, right? He goes, oh, no, actually, I think it's worth more than that. And he, he upcharges you for the game. Yes. And then when you go back to Brunch right after that, and you don't have to, but if you do, he goes, what, you mean he charged you more? That sounds like Justin Tremblay, the greedy little shit. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, though, is I... Like, we didn't tell Rob the story. That's exactly how those guys talk in the in the office. And we, I didn't tell Rob any of that. And Rob did that all on his own. That's freaky how perfect he was. And the funny thing is, if you go back to Tremblay and talk to him again, he'll say, what, you think I'm greedy? Well, you're the one hoarding all these Nintendo games. <laughs> and that's what Tremblay would say in the office. <laughs> Holy cow. He got it perfect. Because he's probably like, this reminds me of someone else. Like, <laughs> it's freaking, freaking ridiculous, though, man. Yeah, Rob's a brilliant motherfucker, though. After seeing this game and his brainchild, like, it's, it's really, really exciting to see like what else Slidex Studios will have in store for us. Because, like, this game is a masterpiece. And the thing is, of course, we're biased because we were part of this whole thing. But on the other side, the game is ridiculously deep. It's awesome. I wouldn't pull any punches, though. No. And, yeah, if the game had some issues, we would talk about the issues. I mean, my only, only issue that I would have with anything would be that some of the NPCs that are walking around in some of the towns could use a little bit of, like, design. Like, there's these little, like, muscle guys, and they look, like, crazy looking, and there's, like, some other guys. They just look weird. You can tell they're people. They just look a little weird. And I know during this time, Slide Dog Studios was two people and went down to just Rob because the guy who worked on the graphics was kind of unreliable or something like that. And that's, you know, dirty laundry or whatever, but it's not really. But um, but basically, so, like, so then Rob did all of it himself. That's why, like, when you see initial screenshots of black box challenge it looks like this pseudo isometric looking graphics and then later on rob changed it all to it looks like classic rpg style i think these graphics are a million times better than the isometric but the artist i think would have brought a little bit of refinement to some of the sprite work that's it that's the only thing that I could possibly refine. And that's so minute and so nitpicky that it really affects nothing. doesn't affect the enjoyment of the game or anything. Yeah, and the only thing that I would put in the dojo, um, where the guy does say, pay attention to your stamina. Oh, yeah. I would have put something more like, um, if you run out of stamina, hold off on your attacks for a bit. Mm-hmm and fall back on your block to build up your stamina. 
that that would be a that would be an important part because otherwise you have to do like I do and painstakingly just figure it out. And some people would have given up by that point, whereas you know we had to do the homework. I mean that that's really the biggest secret in the game because the strong man, the first boss, as long as you can block his moves and you can build up your stamina, then you can attack him and just whittle away. You whittle away as as his energy, but the way that I was taught with Final Fantasy One, you attack, then he attacks, then I attack, then he attacks, and whoever wins. Mm-hmm. Even later, when you can block in things in RPGs, they usually take away a little bit of life. Whereas in this game, if you dodge or you block, you don't get hurt. Yes. That's a important one. So, there's one part in the game that I don't like. The final percent. So, when you beat the game, it's going to give you a breakdown of all the games you collected, all the clues you found, all the power-ups you found. And then there's a question mark. And they don't tell you how to do it. But to get that final percent, it's really, really tedious. Very tedious. Um, Now, completionists will love it. uh, And it does give you a completionist bonus. Um, You get a really crazy thing. Now, it does definitely breaks the game afterward. Makes playing the game pointless at that point. Which it should be. Yeah. But you've gotten 100% at that point. Yeah. And I did figure out there is a glitch, a bug in the game. Um, We talked about it like through messages, my first playthrough. So basically I figured out exactly how the bug occurs now, though, through my second playthrough. So if you beat the game without getting all the black box games, you get to watch the tile screen. There's a whole credits where it shows you all the end bosses and shows you all the characters, the names, where they're located, percentages. If you missed any, it shows you like where they're located and with no percentages. Um, and then it shows you at the end your percentage score. Now, if you collect all of the black box games and don't max out and get 100%, the credits will become unreadable and there'll be garbage on it. It's completely like glitched out. I say now it's a feature because after you get 100%, the credits are fine. They're perfectly fixed. They go back to normal. But it all the way up to 99%, it's garbled fuck. And you can't see anything. So it's kind of hard because if you're missing like one or two enemies, you're going to have to go around on the overworld till you find them randomly. And usually it's inside of a, an area, like a maze area, um, a cave or somewhere. That the, the main one, the one that caught me, and this is a good hint, is you get the clue after you go in the sewers. In the sewers, there's a few enemies that are kind of like random spawns. There's like one of the fat critics, but it's like a blue one. That's in the sewer. And that was like one of the ones I could not find for the life of me. He was in there. And I'm like, oh shit, like I got the clue after that. So I did, you have to go back in there to use the clue on those guys. It's like backtrack into that sewer that you never have a reason to go back to. That isn't the tedious part that I don't like though. The tedious part is the question mark 1% that I'm not going to spoil. If you think about it, after you get the 99%, what is left that you haven't done? That's what you have to think about. What is left in this game that I haven't done yet? And when you figure it out, you're like, oh, fuck. So some people just won't even do it. Um, I went through. I did.
did it. It seemed like something that would have been a pain in the ass. I'm like, you know what? Either way, it'll be kind of cool to do. I did it, and it did unlock the last percent. So that red X in the credit screen will turn into a green check mark, and all the credits are no longer glitched, which is fucking awesome. And then you get the thing that unlocks, breaks the game, basically. Once you get that final percentage, it'll you'll have, you'll hear a noise. And then you'll see on your the pause menu, you'll see the final ability or unlock. You'll see it there. Like the, the secret bonus. Jeez, Rob went deep with this one. <laughs> wow. And the thing is, after you um after you get all the games and do another thing, which is really easy, you know, the the Chad thing, if you beat all of Chad's challenges, he gives you a, a bonus too. And that bonus is completely cosmetic and, and hilarious, but um, and there's a there's an extra game that he that that there is, so he gives you like this game that's not a black box game, and it's fucking hilarious and it's random. Like, why the fuck is he giving you this game? If you know Rob, you kind of know why. But like, but it's like, why the hell did I get this? What the fuck is this? And it's hilarious. the The only thing about that, so for those two things at the very end. Once you get them, you cannot go back. So it changes stuff in the game. And so once you get the Chad stuff, you can't go back. Once you get the 100%, you can't go back. So it's game broken. Like You can't like turn it off. So with the Chad thing, because he shows like four games, I think, with scores. Each time, yep. Does that mean all four of those you have to beat for him to show another four? Yep. Okay, I mm-hmm. see. Yeah, so so Chad shows you four games. Um, you see those scores. There'll be stars next to them in your house in your Nintendo. You go to all of those. Once you beat all those scores, you just go talk to Chad. He'll go, "Oh yeah, fuck you. Here's more." And you go back, and there'll be four more. Usually, that's the next four you need to find in the story. So that's how um, I figured out that I was t- I was finding shit that I shouldn't have yet because I had games that didn't pop up in Chad's list. And I'm like, "Oh, what the fuck? Why do I have all these games that?" You know, like, Chad doesn't even talk to me about yet. Mm-hmm. So then, yeah, I was, like, way ahead. <laughs> yeah, you knew. You figured it out. <laughs> like, yeah. Wait a minute, I'm ahead of the game here. Because he kind of unrolls, unravels the games as you come across them in the normal order. But the game has that awesome Zelda style where you can just go out of order. It's completely non-linear, which is awesome. Yeah, depending how scrappy you are and if you want to keep going. and I can keep... You know, plowing further and further. That's about a wrap, I think, man. Um, beautiful game, though. Really impressed. Fucking gotta say thank you to Rob for making such a masterful thing. Kick some ass, dude. People just need to get their hands on it. And the thing is, so my releases, I did a regular edition and limited edition for Kickstarter, which were 80 and 30 games. So there's 110 games. And then I did 10 more on Nintendo Age forums. So that's only 120 games. I am not doing any more games. I did some card onlys of the regular edition that are out there too. So there's only 120 boxed and there's some card onlys. But Rob is going to go to Infinite NES Lives and make it available on their website um, for a normal edition. I don't know how much it's going to be because the board is expensive. It's like a super specialized four-way scrolling with all these bonus games and shit. It's an expensive board. I had to pay for it. It was insane. So... But people will be able to buy it. And um, John Riggs and Metal Jesus Rocks are going to put out a video, which is 
likely be out before this episode, which is good, and that they covered it. And once they cover it, shit's going to explode. People are going to see it. They're going to enjoy it. Hopefully this episode is a good companion to anybody playing the game. Hopefully we threw out enough you know, little hints there to try to get people along their way. So in parting words, um, I am working on an expansive worlds of power style book called twisted realities of black box challenge i'm gonna make it like a story and you're gonna have a character named ellen hawthorne um that would be my porn star name you take your middle name and your street you grew up on that's your porn star name that's what i'm gonna use the character's name in the book but basically you're gonna get ingrained in the world of black box challenge and i'm gonna do it as a narrative and add some shit in there um i did the first three chapters sent him over to kyle he thought it was freaking classically hilarious it helped you at the beginning right oh yeah yeah for sure yeah so i mean and that's the thing like i'm gonna go through the game so it's not gonna be like oh go here to do this it's gonna be like no alan's going to uncover it as he goes through the world and i took notes as i played the first playthrough and now i'm gonna refine it and it's going to be really cool. I'm going to release it in the same style, format, paper, everything as the Worlds of Power. And I'm going to add in pencil drawings from like a Choose Your Own Adventure book where the artist would just do like pencil drawings because it's a black and white book. I'm going to do that as a series. And I'm going to also do that for other indie games too. But I figure this game, since you know it's like my namesake and everything too, I wanted to make it the first one of the series. It's going to take a fucking while because I'm going to be working on all my collector books too. But this will be a, the perfect little companion piece to Black Box Challenge. Beautiful. Perfect times, man. And Rob is fucking the savant. of. I would say he is the best NES homebrew programmer. Well-rounded. All around. Wouldn't you say? Because not only... Is this an RPG, which is a whole different deal, but he's implemented action-oriented techniques into the fighting system, but, 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 he's also made a minigame of every single fucking black box game that exists, which means he has to have some knowledge of how every single one of those games work from a design programming aspect. That, that's fucking awesome. (laughs) Isn't that fucking crazy and not only did he do that he did all the graphics he did all the gameplay and he did all the music himself and all the story himself and we're talking about all these little references and all these little pop culture references and collector references and jokes and it's all him now we talked about games like haunted halloween We've talked about other games like that that are amazing. They were done by a group of people that were able to, you know, like feed off of each other. And those games are awesome, but it's multiple people that are all awesome in their spot that they did. So if like Greg's working on the pixel art, the pixel art looks awesome. Greg's awesome at the pixel art where Damien Yerrick Teples is doing the programming. He's awesome at that. And another guy does the music and it's awesome at that. But this is all freaking Rob Bryant. That's where I'm like, this dude is the best NES homebrew creator. Thank you for listening to VGBS. We appreciate everybody taking the time to get through this whole uh, arduous podcast. We love it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. 
If you want to correspond with us, you can email us at bgbspodcast at gmail.com. We also have a phone number. It is 262264BGBS. You can leave us a voicemail, shoot us a text message. Um, whatever you want to do, correspond. Also, comment on us. Shoot us a message on Facebook, Twitter, Google+. We love hearing what people um, think about the podcast. All right, see you later. Woo! Later!